You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today is also, if you pay attention to the church calendar, the first Sunday of Lent, which is the traditional 40 days before the Easter celebration. And so Christians all over the world um, are preparing their hearts to honor and remember uh, the sacrifice of Jesus. This is traditionally uh, a season of reflection and, and repentance. And uh, some Christians even choose to do a form of fasting. And we believe in fasting around here at our church. I believe there's something that powerful that happens when we, when we fast. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Now, I know some of you, maybe you grew up with a more traditional background, maybe in the Catholic Church, and you're really familiar with Lent, and you think about having to give up chocolate or something as a kid, or maybe give up alcohol as a, an adult. It's kind of this religious obligation thing. I know some of you come from a different background, and you're like, oh, that's kind of a, a Catholic thing we never did when I was a kid. In fact, I heard an interesting story about this. A guy named uh, John Smith, a Baptist guy, moved into a mostly Catholic neighborhood. He had all Catholic neighbors. And on the very first Friday of Lent, as everybody sat down to have their cold tuna dinner, because you know when you're Catholic, you can't eat meat on Fridays, uh, they all smelled the most delicious steak being grilled in the neighborhood. And it was coming from John's house, right? Smelling up the whole neighborhood, making everybody hungry. And this happened every Friday during Lent. Like, he just made everybody miserable. And so they all said, we got to get together. we got to do something about this. Like, we got to go talk to John. we got to convince him to become a Catholic. we got to convert him. And that's actually what they did. They went and talked to him, and, and John didn't want to be the odd man out, so they, con- they convinced him to become Catholic. He went down to the local parish priest, and the priest blessed him and sprinkled him with water. And he said, you were born a Baptist. You were raised a Baptist. You are now a Catholic. Well, fast forward a year later, first Friday in Lent, as everybody's sitting down to have their cold tuna depressing dinner, and what do they smell again? The most beautiful, delicious smelling steak being grilled, smelling up the whole neighborhood. And just as they were all arriving at John's house to remind him that Catholics don't eat meat on Friday, they found him standing over his steak, blessing it, sprinkling it with water, and he said, you were born a cow, you were raised a cow, you are now a fish. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty funny. Well, whether or not you grew up observing Lent is besides the point. Let me just tell you what I think is so special about this season. Our lives are so busy, aren't they? Our lives are so crazy busy. Our our schedules are so jam-packed. Like Time is flying by, and we need a season to intentionally remind us to slow down and look within. Come on, to pay attention to what's going on in the inside of us, to look inside of us and deal with our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, to do some reflection. And that's what this season gives us the opportunity to do. That's, that's what we're going to do. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to go on a journey together as we pursue this road to redemption. We're going to prepare our hearts. Easter's going to be here before we know it. We're going to prepare our hearts to honor and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And along this journey, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to look within ourselves. 
Come on, we're going to get intentional about looking at what's going on on the inside of ourselves and, and deal with our own brokenness. We're going to do some reflection. We're going to do some repentance. We're going to do some preparation. But can I just encourage you, like the journey that we're going to go on, it's a good one. It's a good one because we know how it ends. It has a good destination. It ends with redemption. So this isn't a season where we're going to beat ourselves up and be miserable. This isn't a season of condemnation. This is a season of preparation to experience redemption afresh. Because we know on the other side of, of Good Friday is Resurrection Sunday. And so we're going on this journey purposely together over the next few weeks. Now, the 40 days of Lent actually represent the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness fasting and praying before he began his public ministry. There's a famous story in Scripture where Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he fasts and he prays and the devil appears. The devil himself appears to tempt Jesus. We're going to look at this in just a moment in Matthew chapter 4. But before we read this story, I want us to remember something really important. Although Jesus was the son of God, he was also human. How many of you know that for 2,000 years, the church has proclaimed that Jesus was fully God, fully divine, yet fully human? And I think sometimes we focus so much on the divinity of Jesus. You know, we open the Gospels and we read about his miracles and his power, and we're kind of in awe of the divinity of Jesus. I think we focus so much on his divinity that we miss the, the fact of his humanity, that he was also fully human, like he's walked in our shoes He's experienced the things we experience, hurt and loss and pain and hunger and loneliness. He even experienced death. And so I want us to, to pay attention to this today because I want you to know that even as a human being, Jesus even experienced temptation. In fact, the writer of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 said this, because he himself, Jesus, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I've got good news for you. When you experience temptation, Jesus can relate to you. He's been there before. He's not just a God up there somewhere, but he's a God who's walked in your shoes. He knows what it is. He took on flesh and blood, and he, he can relate to you. But here's where it gets even better. The scripture tells us that even though Jesus was human, he knew no sin. He overcame sin. So when we experience temptation, not only is he the God that we can relate to, but he's the son of God that we can look to his example of how to walk in victory and how to overcome sin how to overcome temptation, because that's exactly what Jesus did. And so that's what we're going to do today as we look at this story from Matthew chapter 4. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember Jesus' humanity as we read this scripture. For just a moment, I really want you to put that lens on and lean into the fact that he was not just divine, but he was a human being just like you and me. And so we're going to look at three temptations that Jesus experienced, which were actually an attack on his identity. And I have a hunch that some of you in this room, you can relate to these temptations as we look at these. So I want to invite you to open up the Redemption app. There's a spot on the app where you can take notes every week and, and, and write these down because I really believe these are going to help you because I think we can all relate to these temptations that Jesus experienced. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Temptation number one is what we call the performance lie. Three lies, three temptations that came to Jesus in the form of a lie. And the first one is the performance lie. And here's what it says. I am what I do. I am what I do. My value is based on what I do. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. How many of you know if you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, you might be a little bit hungry? Some of you can't even go one day. You can't even go a half a day. Jesus went 40 days. You would die. 
The tempter of the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's from Deuteronomy chapter eight. So here's Jesus. He's in the wilderness. He's fasting. He's praying. He's seeking God. He's hungry. And and Satan appears to him and says, if you are the son of God, then go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and turn these stones into bread? You can do that. Now, when I was growing up as a kid, I always thought that the main point here, right, the main thing that was going on here is that Satan was just tempting Jesus to break his fast, to cheat his fast. Because I can relate to this because I don't know about you, but every time I try to fast, it seems like the devil shows up. Anybody with me? Like temptation happens. We do 21 days of prayer and fasting around here every year to kick off the new year, right? Many of you have participated in that. And it seems like every year as we kick off 21 days of prayer and fasting, I show up here, I go into like the dream team room, and somebody brings a box of Dunkin' Donuts. Now, how many of you know when you're fasting, like the last thing you want to see is a box of Dunkin' Donuts? And I start asking around, like, who brought these donuts? And nobody knows. And I'm like, the devil himself dropped off Dunkin' Donuts in the dream team room. (laughs) It's like, Lord, deliver us from evil. But there's something more going on here. Jesus was was certainly hungry, but there's something deeper going on here. I I want you to look at what Satan says in verse 3. Notice this. He says, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. See, Satan directs his temptation at Jesus' identity. He attacks Jesus' identity. I want you to remember this. We're talking about Jesus as a human being, not just as the Son of God, not just as divine, fully divine, but fully human, a human being like you and me. And Satan's temptation, he tempts Jesus to, to believe that his value and his identity are based on his Performance. Here's what the performance lie says to us. It says, I am what I do. My my total value is based on how I perform. Satan's temptation was a way of asking Jesus, what have you accomplished? What have you accomplished? See, Jesus was about 30 years old at this point in time in his life before he began his public ministry. And, uh, and maybe we have some young professionals in here today who you're getting close to 30, and maybe you're not happy with where you are in your career or what you've accomplished just yet. Here's Jesus at 30 years old, and he seemingly had accomplished very little. He hadn't begun his ministry yet. He hadn't preached any great sermons. He hadn't performed any miracles. There were no crowds of people following him. And so Satan basically shows up and says, who do you think you are? What have you accomplished? And this is the very same lie that we get attacked with. The performance lie. Here's how the performance lie attacks you and me. It says to you and me, what have you accomplished in life? What do you have to show for yourself? How much money do you make compared to someone with the same degree that you have? Why aren't you making more? What's your relationship status? Come on, do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend who's Instagram worthy that you can show off? Like, what do you have to show for yourself? What's your title at work? Like, why aren't you further along in your career by now? And it's the, it's the lie of performance that your value is based on what you've accomplished and how easily we're tempted to believe that our value is found in all of those things. How easily we're tempted to believe that this lie that our value is based on what we've accomplished, what we have to show for ourselves. So we end up living like with this sense that we never measure up, measure up that we always have something to prove. It's like there's this little voice in our head, right, that we, we didn't even realize that it's there, but subconsciously it's been there, kind of challenging us. And, and, and we live with the sense that we always have something to prove 
to someone and to ourselves. Now, side note, Jesus shows us in all three of these temptations that we're going to look at, he shows us the first way to overcome temptation. You can put this in your notes, and here it is. Jesus shows us the first way to overcome temptation. We refute the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word. Did you notice what Jesus did back in verse 4? Let's look at it, okay? Here's what Jesus says to Satan. He says, this is Deuteronomy 8.3. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, Satan, you don't understand this bread that's more important to me. Yeah, I'm hungry, but there's something I need more than physical bread. I need every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Jesus refuted the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word. Come on, some of you need to learn how to preach the truth of God's word to the lies of the enemy. Because the enemy will come at you and attack you. He'll tell you the same thing. Who do you think you are? You're nothing. You're nobody. You're a screw-up. You always mess up. You're defined by your faith. What kind of Christian do you think you are? Look at your sins. Come on, when that happens, you got to be able to respond with the truth of God's word. No, no, no. I am a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a child of God. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, a new creation, born again, never the same. you got to be able to attack those lies. With the truth of, of God's word. So the first temptation, the first lie, is, is the performance lie. Number two, temptation number two, is the popularity lie. And here's what it says, I am what others think. I am what others think. Let's look at verses five through seven. Then the devil took him, took Jesus to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and had him stand on the, on the highest point of the temple. You have to realize the temple was the grandest structure up on a mount on a hill over Jerusalem. It was this amazing building, and you would have had a view of all of Jerusalem. Verse 6, here's what he said. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Come on, even the devil knows how to quote Scripture. Psalm 91. But Jesus replied with Scripture. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He responds from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So once again, Satan attacks Jesus' identity. Did you see it in verse 6? If you are the Son of God. Remember, we're focusing on the humanity of Jesus here, fully divine, but a human being just like you and me. This time, Satan uh, tries to, to tempt Jesus to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple, from the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem, basically to perform a stunt that would prove he was the Son of God. In essence, he was saying to Jesus, he was daring Jesus to do something spectacular that would bring him like instant fame and recognition. He's like, come on, Jesus, if you just did this one thing, surely God the Father is going to send his angels to rescue you. And what a, what a spectacle you would be. You would prove to everybody right away that you are the Messiah. Come on, he tries to stroke Jesus's ego. This is the popularity lie. I am what others think. I am what others think. See, at this point in time in his life, Jesus was unknown. Jesus, in essence, according to people's opinions, was a nobody because nobody had an opinion about Jesus because besides a few people in his hometown of Nazareth, like nobody really knew who Jesus was. He wasn't a great teacher. He wasn't a great prophet. He wasn't a great miracle worker. Like he was essentially unknown. And then it would have been easy for Jesus in his humanity to feel lonely and forgotten, fasting out in the wilderness, in the desert, in the middle of nowhere, all by himself. It would have been easy for him to, to feel like he was anything but the Messiah, anything but the Son of God. How could he possibly have value? And here he was, the Son of God, but nobody even really knew who he was. And this is what the performance lie does. It attacks us 
based on what other people think about us. The performance lie constantly attacks us by telling us that our value is based on the sum total of what other people think about us. And you know what happens when we end up believing this lie? We, we can end up farming out our self-worth to other people based on their opinions. And in the digital age of social media, we can end up farming out our value based on how many likes and heart emojis and comments we get on Facebook and Instagram. This is what can happen to us. There are so many people, like this is what social media is all about. Now, I think social media is the best thing that ever happened to us and the worst thing that ever happened to us. I'm so thankful that it allows us to stay connected with friends and family, and I'm on, I'm on social media. But man, it has driven an obsession with self-image in our culture. Can I just pass to you for a moment and encourage you? Like, you need to take a couple times a year to detox from social media. I mean that. So I've got some pastors who have been challenging me to do that. I did that when we began the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it was good. It just did something good for my, my soul because we are swimming in a culture that preaches this to us, that our value is based on what other people think about us, other people's opinions. And if we're not careful, we can easily swallow that lie. Is anybody with me today? Here's the third thing, the third temptation. Temptation number three is called the possession lie, okay? The performance lie, the popularity lie. The possession lie says I am what I have. I am what I own. My value is based on on what I have. Let's keep going, verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took Jesus, took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down to worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He quotes scripture again, Deuteronomy 6. And then verse 11 says this, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So this time, Satan appears to Jesus and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Jesus essentially has nothing at this time. Jesus is just a craftsman, you know, basically like we would think of a carpenter. He didn't have much to show for himself. And Satan shows him all the the splendor of the world. And he says, all this I will give to you. Look at the kings and their majesty. I can give this to you if you'll just worship me. Come on. This was another attack on Jesus's identity because he tries to get Jesus to believe this, this lie, the possession lie that I am what I have. And Jesus, you don't have anything. Like, look around you, Jesus. Look at what everybody else has. You're supposed to be the son of God. You have nothing. Like, what do you have to show for yourself? And look at what everybody else has. How can you possibly think you're something? You're supposed to be the son of God? And we can relate to this attack, can't we? Because we get attacked every day in the culture that we live in because our culture measures success based on what we have. Our culture tells you that you are a success based on what you have, based on your socioeconomic status, based on what kind of house you live in, what kind of clothes you wear, what kind of car you drive. Like That's what says whether or not you're valuable. That's what says whether or not you're successful. And then companies spend billions of dollars every year, right, to market to us and tell us that what we have is not enough. Come on, so much of marketing is aimed at getting you to think that what you have sucks and isn't enough and you need more. And you just need to buy this product and your life will be happy and you will be fulfilled because the more stuff you have, the happier you're going to be. Essentially, oh yeah, it's true. Essentially, our culture says he who has the most stuff wins. Isn't this true? And then you know what happens to us? We begin to compare ourselves to other people. And what we have isn't enough. Have you ever had this happen to you? You know, you go on a nice vacation with your family or 
your friends or whatever, right? You had a great time. You feel really good about it. You feel thankful. And then you get back and you go to post about it on social media. But then you see somebody else's vacation that was just a little bit better than yours. And then all of a sudden you feel like, my vacation sucked. And now you're all in the dumps and you don't even want to post about your vacation. That's what happens to us. Y'all are laughing because y'all know this is what happens to people. And can I just tell you that comparison is the thief of joy. Come on, somebody needs to write that down. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison will rob you of your joy. And we got just a little bit of that going on around here in Westchester, in Connecticut, in the suburbs of New York City. Just a little bit of pretense going on around what I have and competing with people and keeping up with the Joneses. And I just learned in Westchester long ago, there's always somebody who's richer than you. So you might as well give up and enjoy life. When I meet somebody who thinks they're impressive, think they got to go, I'm like, no, I know somebody richer than you. Don't worry. It's Westchester. There's always somebody richer than you. I'm not impressed. If you got money, I'm not impressed by you. I'm not impressed by people with money. I'm impressed by generous people. Come on, I'm impressed by people who recognize no matter how much money I have, rich or poor, God gave it to me to put it through me, to expand his kingdom, to bless somebody else in need, to help to make a difference in somebody else's life. That's what I'm impressed by. I'm impressed by, by generous people. And see, Jesus knew that there was something more going on here. Because here's the question. When is what we have ever enough? Stop and think about that. Like, when does this ever stop, people? When is what you have ever enough? You know, there's a famous quote that's attributed to, to John D. Rockefeller, who at the time was the richest man in, in the world. Somebody asked him, they asked him, John Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And he said, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. Come on, if you stop and think about it, you know, we're laughing, but man, what an addiction we have in our culture to believe in this lie that the more stuff we have, the happier we're going to be. But Jesus knew this was more than just about stuff. This was actually about worship. Notice that Jesus made it about worship. He said, worship the Lord your God only because he knew that what you own can end up owning you. He knew that what you have can end up having your heart. He knew that what consumes you is what you actually worship. That is your God. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Newsflash, God isn't after your money. He's God. He's got everything. But God knows that the way you spend your money, how you handle your treasure, reveals where your heart is. And so God knows that to break the power of materialism, to break the power of this lie that what you have determines your value... To do that, you got to break some of that by becoming a generous person, by investing in his kingdom, and by giving back. And that's why we do that every week here at this church, because we got to break this lie that I am what I have. I am what I have. Now, here's the amazing thing. Jesus goes three for three, if you're paying attention. He refutes every attack of the enemy. He refutes every lie of, of the devil. He overcomes the temptation every time. And the question is, like, how was he able to do it? How was he able to do it? Well, first of all, we already said that Jesus spoke truth. He spoke the truth of God's word to the lie of the enemy. So you got to get the word of God in your heart. The psalmist said, I will hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. But how many of you know for that to work, you have to have God's word in your heart in the first place so that when the temptation comes, you're ready to go. And so you got to get the word of God into your heart. Your first line of defense is to speak the truth of God's word to the attack and the lies of the enemy. But remember, there's something else going on here. All three of these lies were aimed at Jesus's identity. And so the question is, how was Jesus's identity so secure? Remember, our lens today is we're focusing on the humanity of Jesus. We know he was the son of God, but he was also a human being. Uh, in fact, every temptation that came to him was real. He was hungry. 
He was essentially poor. He was unknown. There was some aspect of reality to every temptation that the enemy hit him with. And so the question is, how did Jesus withstand it? How did he overcome these temptations? Well, if we back up a chapter, if we rewind a chapter in Matthew chapter 3, we get some insight into why Jesus's uh, his identity was so secure. And we see it in his baptism. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus goes to the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And we get a snapshot of how Jesus came to know exactly who he was. Here's what happens. Jesus comes up out of the Jordan River as he's baptized. The heavens open. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And Matthew 3.17 says this. In a voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus' identity is affirmed. Like, this is my Son. He's validated whom I love. He's not just my son, but he's my son whom, whom I love. And then he's affirmed, and with him I am well pleased. Church, you got to get this this morning. Jesus has yet to preach any sermon. He hasn't started his public ministry yet. He hasn't preached the Sermon on the Mount. He hasn't performed any great miracles. He hasn't healed the blind man. He hasn't raised anybody from the dead. He hasn't done any of these things. He certainly hasn't gone to the cross yet to die for the sins of humanity before Jesus does anything. The pronouncement of God the Father comes over his life. This is my son who I love. In him I am well pleased. And Jesus knew exactly who he was. Come on, how many of you know when Jesus set out to do what God called him to do, before he set out to do what God called him to do, he knew exactly who he was. He was secure in the identity of God, the Father. Church, let me help you today. We overcome temptation. We overcome the temptation toward a false identity by knowing who we truly are in Christ. You know who, you, you want to know how to overcome temptation when the, when the enemy attacks your, your identity, when the voices in your head attack your identity, when the opinions of people attack your identity. You overcome the temptation toward a false self, toward a false identity by knowing exactly who you truly are in Christ Jesus. So you got to be able to say over your life, because I am a child of God, therefore I am not what I do. Because I am a child of God, therefore I am not what others think I am. Because I am a child of God, therefore I am not the sum total of what I have. Come, my value is not based on my performance. It's based on the price that Jesus paid for me on the cross. Come on, my, my, my identity is not based on what I have. It's, it's based in the one who has me, the one who's got me. Come on, I'm not the sum total of what other people think about me. I am a child of God. And the scripture says that man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. What God thinks about me is more important than what anybody else thinks about me. Other people may look at, at me and judge me by the clothes I wear, the car I drive, the house I live in, what my job title is. But God, I know that man looks at the outside, but you look at the heart. You've called me son. You've called me daughter. You've called me your child. And your opinion matters more to me than anybody else. That's what shapes me. That's who I am. That's what defines me. This is, this is what we need, church. We have to know who we are in Christ. And here's what Jesus said in John chapter 1, verse 12. He said, but to all who believed him, believed Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. If you're a follower 
of Christ today, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're not just a Christian. You're not just a church goer. You're not just a person of faith. You are a child of God, adopted into the family of God by Christ. And so I believe in Christ Jesus today, God's pronouncement over you in a world that tells us that we are what we have, we are what we achieve, we are what other people think about us, in a world that sells us those lies every day. God's pronouncement over you in Christ Jesus is this. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love, whom I gave my one and only son for. And in Christ Jesus, not because of anything you've done, not because of your good works, not because of your church attendance, but because of what my son did for you on the cross. In you, I am well pleased. Come on, somebody needs to get that in your heart today. Somebody needs to get the truth of that deep down in your heart today. That is God's pronouncement over your life. May it shape your identity. May it shape your thinking. May the voice of God the Father be the voice that you begin to hear in your heart, in your mind that shapes your being. And so today, as we set out on this road to redemption, this journey that we're going on over the next few weeks, as we prepare our hearts to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, here's what we're going to do. We're going to find the power to overcome temptation by knowing who we are in Christ. When the enemy attacks us, when our culture attacks us, when the voices attack us, when the haters hate, we're going to know exactly who we are are in Christ Jesus. And maybe you've been tempted to believe one of these lies. Maybe as you're sitting here today and as we're laughing and, you know, at some of these, these experiences we have as human beings, but you, you recognize that you've been a little bit tempted to, to believe one of these lies. Or maybe somebody spoke these words over you and caused you to believe that the only way you could ever be valuable is based on what you could achieve in this life. Maybe somebody spoke hurtful words over you that made you feel like you were never going to be anything. Maybe you've bought into this lie that the more stuff I have, right, that's, that's what really makes me successful. What other people think about me, their opinion at work and at home and the, my friendship circle, like that's really what shapes me. Come on, today I believe the voice of God the Father wants to rise above all of those things and cut through all of the clutter of those voices and speak truth into your life and remind you in Christ Jesus, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're his child. And that's what defines you. And his word over your life today is this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray into this. Come on, just stand in just a moment. We're going to be receiving communion. If you're joining online, maybe you want to prepare your, your elements, some bread, some wine, some crackers. Would you just bow your head for just a moment? If you're new to our church, this is just a moment of self-reflection. This is just a moment to say, Lord, what are you saying to me specifically? Take the message and make it personal for me. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to, to your heart. And I want to pray for you this morning. Just bow your head. Nobody looking around. Just, just kind of a sacred moment between us and God and, and the Holy Spirit. And today as we pray, maybe, maybe one of these lies is very real to you. Maybe you've been battling one of these, these the temptation to believe that, that you are, you, your, your value and your identity is based on what you've achieved in life or what you have in life or how much money you make or what your title is or what other people think about you. And I just wonder today, I, don't, I, I rarely do this, but I just wonder today who I'm praying for. Just as our heads are bowed, nobody's looking around at anybody in this place between us and God. I just wonder if somebody in here would say, Pastor, you're praying for me today. Pray for me. That's me. I, I want my identity to be shaped 
by Jesus, and, I, and I've been battling one of those. Last. Come on, if that's you, just slip your hand up real quick and say, Pastor, you're praying for me. Pastor, you're praying for me. That's me. Come on, I know God's speaking. Hands going up all over this room. Thank you. Thank you. Just say, hey, Pastor, that's me. God's speaking to me today. I want my identity to be based on who God says I am. Amen. Thank you. Hands going up all over this place today. Come on, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you that before we ever did anything, God, you loved us. In fact, the scripture says, while we were yet sinners, you gave your son for us. When we weren't thinking about you, you were thinking about us. When we were, when we were lost and broken in our sins, you gave your son for our lives to redeem us, to set us free from our sins. And Lord, today, I break the lie of the enemy over your people that would tell them they're defined by their performance, their popularity, their possessions. And I pray that, God, today your voice would rise above all of the other voices in their lives, that they would be reminded that they are sons, that they are daughters, that they are children, that your word over them today is, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love, who I gave my son for. And in Christ, because of what Christ has done for you, I look at you and I am well Please, Father, may that bring healing to our hearts. May that set us free. May we never be the same. And now I want to pray for the person today who would say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to know God that way. Like, Pastor Jeremy, even as you're describing that, man, like something in my heart resonates with that. Like I'm so drawn to that. And I don't even know where to start because I feel so far away from God. And I would just tell you today that, that you find a new identity in Christ by, by placing your faith in Christ. And if you feel a tug in your heart, we believe that is the, the gentle tug of a loving God who is drawing you to his son by his spirit. And, and we want you to know today that you are loved by a God who gave himself up for you. You are loved by a God who gave his one and only son for you. And when he did that, it was his way of saying, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. Maybe somebody made you feel unworthy. Maybe you feel defined by your mistakes and your failures and your past and your sins. And God the Father is saying to you, by his grace today, you were worth it. And today I want to lead you, if that's you and you feel far away from God, I want to lead you in a prayer to simply say yes to Jesus, yes to the gift of what he did for you that you could never earn for yourself. Would you say that with me? Would you pray that with me if you need to pray that under your breath? Jesus, I give you my yes. Come on, people need to pray that all over this room today. Jesus, I give you my yes. I place my faith in you. I believe that you are who you said you are, the son of God. Pray this with me, that you lived for me that you died on the cross for my sins, that you were raised to new life for me. And so I turn from my sins and I place my faith in you. I trust in you. I find my new identity in you. I give you my yes. Father, I pray that you bless every person in this place who prayed that prayer. God, I thank you that the scripture says that your spirit testifies to our spirit that we're born again, never the same. Something in us cries out, Abba, Father. God, we come to know you as Father. And we place our faith in you. And so we give you thanks for what you've done today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.